Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, kind of a, a small crowd, small group this morning, but it is always it is always good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, I want to say thank you for those that were able to come to the uh, Thanksgiving Eve service. We had a, a, a wonderful time and a, a good time of fellowship. And I want to thank everyone that was able to come and uh, and uh, those that weren't able to come. And uh, we have a, a few announcements here this morning. Uh, we've got a number of things coming up in, in your bulletin, a number of things coming up in the next few weeks uh, to kind of keep our eyes on. Our Christmas uh, tree decorating will be next week, and uh, as well as other services, etc. And so be in, uh, keep that in mind. And uh, do we have any other announcements that need to be made this morning, in particular that didn't get it, that didn't get into the bulletin? I think I should have all of the people in the middle move forward. <laughs> well, it's very strange. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord this morning in uh, in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. And we think of many countries, many places in the world where people are not able to gather to worship. And if they do, they're under fear of, of death or persecution or being thrown in jail or so many other things. And we're so fortunate to live in this country and, and so often we forget to be thankful for that and so we just thank you for this country we thank you for our freedom that we have to worship you we thank you for those that are able to be here this morning to worship we pray that you'd watch over those that are not able to be here and for whatever reason whether it's a, a sickness or being away or whatever the uh, reason we pray that you'd bring them back to us again safe we pray that you would watch over our service this morning. We pray that you would just speak to our hearts and that we would be encouraged. And if there are things in our life that, uh, that you would like us to be doing different, we pray that you would just guide us and give us your wisdom that we might live for you uh, wherever we are, whether we're at work or at home or with our families. We pray that you would just help us to be an example of the believer in the things that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, our, our scripture reading this morning, <clears throat> our scripture reading this morning will be found in Isaiah chapter two, verses one through five, and that would be on page 531 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. 
and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall, flow, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning, pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. <clears throat> and now, if you turn to number 96 in your green book in front of you, 96, let's stand and sing, O Sing, which is also Psalm 96, to the tune of All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And let's sing the, uh, the first three verses of that, verses 1, 2, and 3. Stand and sing. our morning offering and uh, and if you have any special prayer requests uh, just put that uh, in the offering as it goes by
us pray. Lord, indeed, how grateful and thankful we are. We thank you for how you've blessed us in so many ways. And again, we think of our, our families and our homes and our jobs and all of this you have given to us and we're so thankful for it. We pray that you continue to help us to be thankful for what we have and, and not look around us and see what we don't have, but be thankful for what we do have. We pray that you take this offering, that you bless it, that for your honor and glory to spread your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was asked this morning by a young person, what are those candles doing on the stage? And they're here because this is the first Sunday in the season of Advent, which is traditionally celebrated by many Christian churches on the four Sundays leading up until Christmas. And so if it can be believed, we're only four weeks away from Christmas, which falls on a Sunday this year. And so um, each week in the next four weeks, we'll, we'll light an additional candle on our way to Christmas and then the final center candle will light on Christmas Eve. Advent means coming, it means arrival. And so during the season of Advent, what we're doing is anticipating the arrival of Jesus. So part of what we're doing is remembering the long years that God's people Israel waited in darkness for the coming of their Messiah. But part of, that's part of what we're doing is remembering the anticipation for Christ's first coming. But also part of what we're doing is, is looking forward and anticipating Christ's second advent, his second coming. And so we're we're doing both of those things in this season. And so each Sunday we'll light another candle as we anticipate the coming of Christ. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Isaiah chapter 9. It's page 536 in your pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 9. And this is the prophet Isaiah looking forward to the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, first seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they, were, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Have Gabe light the candle. stand together. You can open your green books to number 212.
204 in your green book.
We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. How good it is to know that when we come to our Heavenly Father in Jesus' name that he hears our prayers. Let's go to him together. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we worship you. We worship you because you are our God, because you are our creator, because you are our king. As the psalmist prays, every day we will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are good to all, and your mercy is over all that you have made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. As we come to you this morning, our glorious God, we confess that in the light of your presence and your glory, our weakness, our infirmity, our sin is made clear. We know our transgressions and we are aware of our sin. We understand, Father, that we've sinned against you and done what is evil in your sight. Like all of mankind, we acknowledge, Father, that we've been sinners from birth. And as we reckon with that reality, we grieve, Father, that we have grieved you by our thoughts and our actions and our deeds. And we ask God, that you would have mercy upon us according to your steadfast love which you have shown to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to God. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We thank you, Father, for the rest you have given us in Jesus, that by him our sins have been put to death, if we belong to him, and that by him we have been given the very righteousness of Christ, raised with him to the heavenly places, seated with him. We thank you, Father, for what you've done for us in Jesus, and we thank you that because of him we can rest. Rest in knowing that we've been forgiven, cleansed, made whole, adopted into the family of God. In your death, Lord Jesus, we find forgiveness. In your resurrection, we find life. By your blood, we are cleansed. By your body, we are healed. Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing among us. We thank you for the light of Jesus, which you have shown to us. That even though we live in a dark world, Still under the curse of sin, we have seen the light of Christ. 
We thank you for the hope we have in your name, even in the face of death itself. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring us to life by your word day by day, that you would revive our hearts by your word, that you would cause us to come to life in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you, as you revive our hearts, you would revive this congregation, that there would be a sense of spiritual life here, as I believe there is. I pray, too, Lord, that as we come to life, you would also bring to life those around us. We think especially of our family and of our friends who are far from you, uh, who have turned their faces against you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts to know you and to love you and to worship you, to see you for who you are. We know, Father, there is nothing better than to know you. And so we would wish nothing better for those we love than that they would know you and in you to know life and life eternal. We ask, Father, that even as we finish out our service, as we come before your word, as we continue to sing to you, that you would inhabit the praises of your people and that your word would not return unto you void, but that as you speak to us from your word, we would hear, that you would open our ears actually to hear and our eyes actually to see who you are, and that we would not walk away from the word unchanged, but that you would make us a new creation as we come to your word and encounter the power of your speech. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You can open up your blue book and stand. Um, we're going to sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. 244, and we'll sing both of the verses.
You may be seated. As we go to the Word this morning, you can open with me to Romans 13. Romans 13, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14 this morning. That's page 892 in your pew Bibles. Page 892. And as you turn there, I'd like to refresh in your memory a couple of verses from Isaiah, which we've already read this morning. So with your Bible open to Romans 13, hear now the words of Isaiah. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In these words, the prophet Isaiah is looking forward to the coming, the advent of the Messiah. The hope of God's people in the Old Testament before the coming of Christ was that one day the Messiah would come. Messiah means chosen one. It's also translated Christ. And their hope was that one day this chosen one, this anointed one, would come. And this Messiah would be a king, a great king. And that when this Messiah came, he would bring light to darkness. That's the language both in Isaiah 2 and in Isaiah 9. Light in the darkness. That when Messiah came, he would bring, first of all, light to the darkness of the people of Israel dwelling in captivity. But also that God would bring light to the darkness of a sinful world. As you read the prophecies of the Messiah in Isaiah, you come to realize that this Messiah who's to come, his kingdom is going to encompass not just Israel, but the whole world. That of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Right, that's the light that Isaiah is anticipating. As the Messiah comes up above the horizon, that the full daylight of everlasting peace will come. And that light has come. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we anticipate in this season of Advent. That Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world. As the Apostle John said in John 1, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This light is Jesus. This light is the king lying in a manger. And yet the reality is that though we have seen the light, 
we also await for the second coming of the light, for the second coming of Jesus. We have seen him. He lived. He taught authoritatively. He died for our sins. He was raised gloriously for our resurrection. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And there he sits, and here we wait. In a world still under the curse of sin, and yet in a world with increasing light as the kingdom of God spreads among us as we await the final coming. In this season of Advent, we remember that we live in an age between the Advents. The two great bookmarks of our age are the coming of Christ, which has already happened, and of the coming of Christ, which we await with eagerness. We live, in a way of speaking, in the golden hour. Photographers um, prize one hour or so in the morning and in the evening before the sun has actually come up over the horizon. And I, I watched it this morning from my study. The sky was black and then slowly it began to lighten into deep blue and then gradually a glow came over Main Street. And the whole place was lit up before you could actually see the sun. The light had come, but the day had not fully arisen. And that's where we live. Christ has come, but he's coming again. The light has come, and by it we can see, but we await the full daylight of his eternal kingdom. That's where we live, in the golden hour, in the early dawn. And the question I want to ask this morning, and the question the Apostle Paul is going to answer for us in Romans 13, is how do we live in this age between the Advents? How is it that we ought to live as the dawn of Christ is breaking? Our main idea this morning is this. Jesus is dawning. Jesus is dawning. He has come, and he's coming again. The light has come, and the light is going to come in full force one day. Jesus is dawning, so wake up. That's going to be Paul's message to us. Jesus is dawning, so wake up. Live like it's day. We're going to explore this morning what that actually means. Let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Romans 13, beginning in verse 11. Here the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Rome, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask this morning that you would enable us to see the light of Jesus, that we would behold his glory in his first coming, that we would anticipate his glory in his soon second coming, and that as we live in the age in between, you would enable us to live in full awareness of Jesus, and that as we walk in the daylight of Christ, we would not walk in works of darkness, but that we would put on Christ. We pray this morning that you would show us what that means in our own lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is dawning. Wake up. Two parts of this main idea, two parts of the passage. First, Paul establishes, this is where you are, and then he establishes, so you better live like it's true. So first he establishes, this is where you are, Jesus is dawning. Verse 11, he says, besides this, you know the time. You know the time. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to a church in Rome. He's writing to Christians he hasn't met yet, but whom he intends to meet. He's writing to Christians he has connections with. He knows people who know people. And in anticipation of one day coming to Rome, he's writing a letter seeking to establish this fledgling church plant in Rome in the gospel. He wants to see them walking in faithfulness. And Romans is, is without a doubt the most exhaustive treatment of the gospel of Jesus by Paul in any of his letters. He's thorough. And by the time we get to Romans 13, Paul's beginning to flesh out what does gospel life look like in practice. Now, verse 11, he, he tells these believers, he says, you already know what I'm about to tell you. You know the time. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. I don't know about you, but some mornings I've woken up and as my eyes crack open, I realize there's more light coming in the window than I wish there was. <laughs> that this was a morning I should have been up much earlier. <laughs> and yet daylight is streaming in. The hour has come for me to wake from sleep. Paul says, you guys, you know this. The hour has come for you to wake. This isn't news to you. He explains what he means. For salvation is nearer to us now than when he than we first believed. What does he mean here by salvation? Oftentimes when we speak of salvation, we speak in the past tense. We ask one another, when were you saved? This is a right way to speak, right? When were you saved? And by that we mean, when did you come to know Jesus? Right? When did you come first to put your faith in him and to be justified by his blood? Right? To become a new person, to be born again. That's what we mean. Um, and so in one sense, our salvation is in the past tense, but in another sense, our salvation, our complete, final, ultimate salvation is still future. We're awaiting the return of Christ. We're, we're awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. We're awaiting the resurrection of the world, right? And the, the coming in of the new heavens and the new earth. We're, all of this is still future, and so Paul is saying, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. 
Paul doesn't give us a time frame here. He doesn't give the Romans a time frame. Paul, as Jesus would have said and did say, did not know the day or the hour, and neither do we. We don't know when Christ will return, but Paul can say at least this, and he can say the same to us as well. Our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. There's a sense of urgency here. We don't know the day or the hour, but it's not getting further away, right? The, the second advent of Christ is only getting closer as the days go by. Dawn, full daylight is, is only coming faster. And so he says, verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Listen, the time is short. The light of Christ has shone. It's beginning to glow above the horizon and his return is imminent. The day is at hand. Jesus is dawning. He gives us a sense here of urgency. And then he gets to the application. Jesus is dawning, so wake up. Wake up. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, what? Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In verse 11, he says, wake up. The time has come for you to wake up. And here in verse 12 and fleshed out in 13 and 14, he explains what he means. How is it that we should live in the light of the coming of Jesus? He says, cast off and put on. Imagine in these two very basic actions, and you've been working outside and your clothes are all soiled and smelly and gross. You cast off and you put on, right? You cast off the old and you put on the new. That's the image Paul uses here. He says that the day has come. It's no time to be wearing stinky clothes anymore. Cast off the old, put on the new. What does he mean by this? He doesn't mean literally change your clothes He's talking about our works. He's talking about our lives. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So I want to talk about what that means. Cast off, put on. What is he calling us to cast off? What is he calling us to put on? He says, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He begins to flesh out what he means by this. What are these works of darkness in 13 and 14? He says, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but, what's the alternative? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This short list of what it looks like to walk in the darkness is, a, is an abbreviated list of Paul's outlining temptations to walk in the flesh. And Paul makes this comparison between two ways to walk in numerous places in his letters. Perhaps most famously in Galatians, he talks about walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Right, this is another way to 
to phrase this. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Verse 19, he begins to explain, These are the works of the flesh. They're obvious. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, you get the picture. This is an abbreviated list. It could go on, but this is what it looks like to walk in the flesh. By the flesh, he doesn't mean our physical bodies. By the flesh, he means our sinful inclination. He means that part of us which is bent towards sin. And as Christians, the choice is ours. Paul lays it out in multiple places. Writing to Christians, he says, you can walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. There is a part of you that still longs to sin. There's a part of you that's still fallen and bound to sin, and you can walk in that, or by the power of the spirit of God who lives in you, you can walk in the spirit in the light it's darkness or light it's flesh or spirit to the romans in romans 13 he addresses three main areas in which they might be tempted to walk in the flesh you have to keep in mind here the context this is a little group of christians of a ragtag bunch meeting in the greatest city of the world in terms of might and power. This is mighty Rome. Right? And, and here in Rome, it's the cross, crossroads of all of civilization. And so here in Rome, you have all the political intrigue of Washington, D.C., right? all the economic greed of Wall Street, all the, um, all the decadence and debauchery of Las Vegas, Right? And all the vainglory of Los Angeles, all in one place. Right? You read accounts of what life was like in, in Rome, and it's incredibly debauched for many. There's no lack of temptations for these Roman Christians. And probably for most of them, they used to walk in these ways. And so Paul just says it right out loud. He says, if you're going to... If you're going to live like Jesus is right over the horizon, walking in darkness isn't going to cut it anymore. He's writing, remember, to Christians. These are followers of Jesus. And Paul's concern, I think out of a pastoral heart, probably having seen Christians continue to walk in darkness, his concern is that people have some kind of head knowledge or um, sort of um, vocal confession of Jesus without actually living like Jesus is dawning, like this is actually true. Right? It's possible to name the name of Christ, to name the name of the light of the world, and then go on living in darkness. And Paul doesn't want these Christians to be caught unawares. And so he, he spells it right out. He says, you can't go on living in darkness if you're going to bow to the light of the world. Let us walk, walk properly 
as in the daytime. Then he names a number of things which are usually, usually kept to the night, usually done under the cover of darkness, because if it was done in broad daylight, the foolishness of it would be obvious to all. And he says, you should live like the foolishness of it is obvious to all, because the day has come, because Jesus is about to break. He names three pairs of darkness. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. The word translated orgies by the ESV is actually a broader term. It has to do with um, sort of out of control wild parties, which in the debauchery of Rome would often have included a sexual element. That's why it's translated this way. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. What's being described here is a, is a lifestyle of numbness to the world. Through substance and through wild living, I'm going to just push everything that's real out and eat and drink and be merry. This was a real problem in Rome. The party scene was huge. It's a problem still today. People living in all sorts of numbness. Drunkenness doesn't come by alcohol alone, but by any number of kinds of drug use. Paul's realistic about the stuff that's going on out in the world. He says, that's there. It's going to keep on going on in Rome. He says, but not for you. But not for you. Next, he names sexual immorality and sensuality. Again, a huge temptation in Rome with a prostitute, a temple prostitute on every street corner. He says, maybe you used to walk that way. Maybe you used to walk in darkness, but not anymore. You belong to the light. Put it away. Make no provision for the flesh. If anything, in the American empire in 2022, sexual immorality is even more accessible and more perverted. It's not just on every street corner, it's in every pocket. It's more accessible than it ever has been in the, the world. You don't even have to leave your door. And so in this too, Paul calls them out. He says, not anymore. Not in darkness anymore. Not if, not if you're walking in the light. Imagine if the dawn of Christ were to rise just now as you're doing whatever, walking around the street corner. He says, no, walk like it's day. Walk like it's day. The light of Christ is dawning. The third category he mentions, he says, not in quarreling and jealousy which may seem like minor league sins next to the other ones, right? This isn't the big showy billboard kind of sin. Quarreling and jealousy. And yet he mentions them here in the same breath. I think this is probably because Paul was a pastor and Paul was a church planter and Paul knew human nature and Paul knew what it's like when Christians live together in community. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, it becomes very clear Paul often had to deal with quarreling and jealousy. 
that these roots of bitterness, of unforgiveness, of gossip can take root in a Christian community and tear it all to pieces. And so Paul puts quarreling and jealousy right next to everything else. And he says, this is as much walking in darkness as anything else you might be doing. And he says, no more. No more. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The idea here is making no plan for sin, leaving no inch of your house still open to hospitality of the flesh. Make no provision for sin to gratify its desires. Cast off the darkness. I don't feel the need to flesh out this application anymore because in my experience, when people are filled with the Spirit of God, they know exactly what the Lord is calling them to cast off. I don't know what it is in your life this morning, but is there some stinky garment that's still clinging on that you need to throw in the hamper? What is it that the Lord is calling you to cast off? Be free of it. Be done with it. Have off with it. And walk in the light. Paul's exhortation here is not merely negative. It's not just cast off. It's also put on. Put on. What does he call us to put on? Verse 12, he says, put on the armor of light, which is wonderfully inspiring sounding, but what is that? What is the armor of light? How do we put it on? He explains it more clearly in verse, verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's interesting here, Paul doesn't make a list of walking in the light like he did with the darkness. Right? He gives a list for darkness. This is what it looks like if you keep walking in darkness. Don't do that anymore. And he says, instead, put on Jesus. Now, some places he does make a list, but I'd encourage you to study those places. Galatians is one. In the same passage we, we looked at earlier, Galatians 5, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Right, he says, this is, this is light living, this is spirit living. But I'd encourage you to, act, to actually commit that verse to heart if you don't have that memorized so that throughout your day you can constantly be calling it to mind. And when you're tempted to say something, you run it through that filter. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. Kind of right. You're tempted to do something in anger. You go, love, joy. Okay, that does not match that filter. I have some casting off to do and some putting on to do. Love, joy, peace, patience. But not just these things in the abstract. That's the interesting thing about Paul's command here. He doesn't say, so just, you know, try and be good. And try, try and be better. The day has come, so be better. Now, the day has come, and you should be better. But he doesn't say that. He says, 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what God is doing in your heart, if you are a Christian, what God is doing in us is not merely moral improvement. It is that. But it's moral improvement by making us more like Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip a couple pages in your Bible to the left to Romans 8. And we'll get a glimpse here of what God's plan is for you if you're a Christian. Romans 8, 28 is very well known. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those that are called to his purpose, which is a wonderful assurance to know that God has a good purpose for us, that he's working all things in our life towards. It's incredible. But what is that purpose? Usually we insert whatever good we want into that verse, right? But actually the Lord has an ultimate and a final good in mind for us. Verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's good purpose for you, if you are in Christ, is to conform you to the image of Jesus. God's good and perfect plan for your life is to make your heart beat like Jesus' heart. God's good plan for you is to so incorporate you into the body of Christ that your character would be conformed to that of Jesus. This doesn't mean that you will cease to be an individual, but it does mean that a lot of us has to die. And that in us, in place of the, the stuff that God surgically cuts out, the cancer, the darkness that rots our heart, God is actually building in us the very heart of Jesus. And he will accomplish this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God will accomplish this in your life. He will make you like Jesus. It won't happen finally and ultimately until we see him face to face. But in this life, God is starting the work. And the call of Paul here in Romans 13 is that we would begin to live into the reality that God is already building in our hearts. His intention is to conform us to Jesus. Jesus who's the only human being who's ever lived without sin in the world. The only perfectly loving, perfectly kind, perfectly good, perfectly patient human being. He's the He's the new prototype. He's the firstborn of a new creation. He's the first man to live without sin, but he's not going to be the last. Because he's going to take everyone who belongs to him and perfectly conform our hearts to his. And what Paul is inviting us into here in Romans 13 is to press the fast forward button a little bit. To get a taste of 
of heaven by putting on in this life, in this broken and dark world, the very heart of Christ. That as we take off the works of darkness, what God is calling us to do is actually to live like Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what does this look like practically? You can ask her the same, same question. I don't think I'm going to find the armor of light in my closet. I don't think I'm going to find Jesus in my closet to put on. In the, like, how do I, where do I find Jesus? And the answer is simpler than we might make it. Right? Statements like these can rattle around our heads for years. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds nice, but what does it look like on Monday morning? Right? How do I put on the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is quite simple. Get to know him. It's hard to walk like Jesus if you don't know how Jesus would walk or to talk like Jesus if you don't know how Jesus would talk. And so it's going to be hard to put on Jesus if you're never in his word and you never talk to him in prayer. Those two things really are the heartbeat of the Christian life. You will not know Jesus if you don't know his word. You cannot talk to Jesus if you don't pray. If we're going to put on Jesus, we're going to need to make the word of God our home so that we might come to know Jesus, to see the heart of Christ, so that reflexively, as the word of God has actually reshaped our hearts in whatever situation we face, we'll know what Jesus would do, say have us to do, say. Because we come to know Jesus. There's certain people, well, actually, it's true really of anyone you hang around. Um, if you hang around people, you become like them. See this in old married couples, right? They gradually become like each other in a lot of ways. And there's some people you hang around and you start not to like yourself afterwards. So I need to hang around that person less. But there's some people you hang around and the more you hang around them, the more you find yourself wanting to be like them. Not like in a copycat way. You're not going to copy their catchphrases, but just like, this is someone who I would want to emulate. And it's not even necessarily consciously. If you want to put on Jesus, you're going to need to hang around Jesus. And the more you hang around Jesus, the more you're going to become like him. At least in my experience, the more I hang around Jesus, the more I like him. The more I understand the heart of Christ, the more I see this is, this is the love of God. The heart of Christ is compelling Jesus is dawning. The wonderful way this all pulls together is that as Christians living in the golden hour, 
We have seen Jesus. We've greeted him in his first coming. We have loved his first coming. We have loved his crucifixion and his resurrection. That has become our life because in him we've been forgiven of our sins. Our hearts have been made new. We've been born again. Our lives are defined by Jesus in his first coming. And they're defined by Jesus in his second coming, right? We long for God to make all things new. We long for our hearts to be perfectly renewed. And he, even here in the golden hour, our lives too ought to be defined by Christ even today. That as we trust in his first coming and as we look to his second coming, that Christ would be made manifest in our own hearts, that Christ would be all in all, that all glory would be to Christ. Jesus is dawning. Let's live like it's day. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you, and we love your Son, Jesus. He is our hope. He is our life. He is a, a light unto our feet. We ask, Father, that even this week as we live in the light of your comings, that you would call us into the light. That you would gently but firmly do heart surgery on us. That you would get out the scalpel and cut out that which needs to be removed. That we would cast off the works of darkness. And that you would show us day by day how to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are our life, and we long for the day when we will be perfectly conformed to your image. May we grow closer and closer to that each day. We thank you so much for your death and your resurrection in our place. We are hopeless without you, and yet with you we have such tremendous hope for today, for this week, and for all eternity. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing the doxology. Praise God from